0: 500 vehicles to sell, 500 ways to save. One month only at Bill Penny Toyota during Mega Memorial Month, now through May 31st. That means mega deals on your favorite Toyota models from Alabama's number one volume Toyota dealer. And don't forget, every new vehicle comes with our 10-year unlimited warranty. Plus, enjoy the rest of our awesome penny perks. Visit BuildPennyToyota.com during Mega Memorial Month. Number one based on 2018 total new Toyota retail sales in Alabama for Southeast Toyota distributors. Warranty valid through 10th year of ownership on new vehicles only. See dealer for details.
1: I had a very long week. It was a little more stressful than I anticipated. And my mother got foot surgery a couple weeks ago. She got two toenails removed. And it is disgusting. Oh, my God. If I had ever had any thought that I might eventually do this for whatever reason, I have no longer no. It's no longer on the menu as something that could possibly happen to me. And I do have a toenail that has some separation. Uh, it's staying. It's staying forever because, oh, Thor, it is bad. It is real bad. Anyway, she's four weeks post toenail removal. On both feet, she got her big toenail removed, and it's permanent. In the middle of sandal weather, I don't know what the fuck she was thinking. Anyways, so we accomplished that, and today she had one of her appointments, and they asked me if I wanted to go back there with her, and I said no, because who wants to fucking see that? I don't. I don't get paid to see shit like that. I'm not going to see it for free. No. There are limits. One day because I'm a good daughter, I will probably eventually have to wash my own mother's ass. Okay? I'm prepared to do that. I am not prepared to handle the nasty, gross, slimy, nail bed toenail removal thing. No. No. Okay. That has no bearing whatsoever on the discussion tonight, but I had to get it off my chest because I've been thinking about it all day. And I have a little cough, and it's not because I'm sick, but because I have asthma. And today I went flower shopping, and I planted some um, tiny bee lilies in my um, planters by my driveway. And so I was in Lowe's, and I was surrounded by flowers. And while my flower pollen allergy is kind of low, when you're wall-to-wall, you're going to bring something back with you. So I have a little bit of a cough, and it's, and it's pollen-related. But it shouldn't be too bad. It couldn't possibly be as bad as my hacking experience over the winter. But, uh, oh, someone said that she said she'd put her mom in a really good nursing home. There's no such thing, hon. Um, My grandmother went into a nursing home, and I fought... The majority of my family, tooth and nail, and I was at there. I was there every single day, and those people began to hate me. And I really didn't care. I had to put marks on her sheets. She was bedridden, and I had to pencil mark her sheets to make sure they changed them. And this was a nursing home with a very good rating by the state and the health department yeah, there's no such thing as a good nursing home. You put someone in a nursing home when you have no choice. No choice, none. Or if you hate them. You know, if you hate them, you can do that. Um, but yeah, no, just just don't do it. Um, absolutely not. Unless you hate them, you know. And then, you know, like if, my, if my Aunt Busybody goes into nursing home, I not go over there a couple times a week just to check her out, but I'm not going to be helping her at home at my house because she's an asshole. And, you know, my Aunt Busybody, she's got a couple kids, and you would think she could depend on them, but I know she can't. And she knows she can't. And she knows that she's alienated me and I'm an atheist, and so there's no way in hell I'm bringing her into my house. And so she's aware of this shit. Okay. God, I just spent five minutes discussing totally off topic in my. Okay, here we go. Ties that bind. <clears throat> when I, I've said this before, and um, I might as well say it again for those who have not read or seen or heard this um, particular part of the story that comes with five, um, with a, uh, with ties that bind. And I would remind everybody in the chat room if you weren't if you weren't there when I originally asked, if you could raise your font up to at least 22 so I can read it, that would be great. Thank you. Because tiny fonts and me don't get along. Um, What I was going to say about Ties That Bind. I originally wrote Ties That Bind for myself. I had no intention of ever putting it online. And it was all about... What I wanted to see as a reader, and it was, you know, mostly it was just m- me telling myself a romance story. I was I was telling myself a romance, and that romance happened to take place in a world where, BD- where BDSM dynamic was um, the the norm, and that idea came from Zanth, and who is a fantastic storyteller. And eventually I realized, you know, when I started reading it over and over and over again, I realized, okay, maybe this is kind of entertaining, so I decided to share it, and so I did. And there was some bullshit, and I was warned in advance that it would happen, and it did, and fine. You know, you don't have to read it. You don't have to like it. That's the point of fandom. There is all kinds of things to read, there are all kinds of things to be entertained by. I don't need anybody's approval, and I don't need to be validated. And that's a problem that some people um, have. And it's what I would say is that some people can handle not being liked or being... Um, made a villain in somebody else's life, and some people can't. And if you can't handle it, then, you're, yes, you're going to withdraw. You're you're not going to take risks. You're not going to um, put yourself out there in a way that you might otherwise. And then there's also a point where even a strong person, a person who prides themselves on having a great sense of self-esteem and um, someone who takes great pride in their work and who who considers themselves strong, even... Those people, and myself included, um, have breaking points. And when fandom doesn't like you or doesn't like what you're doing, they, the abuse that can get heaped on you is amazing. And I don't mean amazing good. I mean amazing bad. It, it's, nobody is more judgmental than a fan. I mean that. Judgmental. And it comes ahead to me when I saw an article on CNN about Carrie Fisher losing 40 pounds to reprise her role as Princess Leia. And comments were, she's still too fat. She's old. It's going to suck. They should only put young people in the movie. And these are fans of the original work. There you go. That's fandom in a nutshell. And so I knew intellectually that there were people in the fandom that had a problem with the BDSM AU. And just like people have a problem with the Alpha Omega AU um, and that Ponfar, you know, the people who have problems with that, the problem with the BDSM AU is is bigger, I think, than some of the other things that you encounter in fandom, because a lot of people have a misconception about what BDSM is. They have this idea that it's abuse and that it's physical, mental, and emotional abuse at, on a large scale, and it's, that's just ignorance. Yes, abuse happens in the lifestyle, but... Abuse happens outside of it a lot more. Really. Yes, there are opportunities for men who might like to hit women to enter into a lifestyle situation, but they're not going to get far, and they're not going to be trusted, and it's going to spread around is this man is not a dom, this man is an abusive asshole, and there is a difference. A sexual dominant is responsible and strong and attentive and aware and sane and understands the dynamic of a submissive, understands the power exchange that takes place between, between two people, And it's um, that—that's what being a dom is. It's a, uh, is an acknowledgement that somebody else is giving you power over them, not that you're taking power from them. If you have to take power from somebody, they're not submitting to you. Period. Submission must be given. It can't be taken. It can't be bought. It can't be coerced in any way. Or it really isn't submission. Put that in mind when you're reading and when you're writing, if you um, cross that line, your readers are going to um, let you know. <laughs> And even if you don't cross that line and you did something your readers don't like, they're gonna let you know, you know. And sometimes you can brush it off, and sometimes you can't, you know. And Senna, I'm really glad you loved my my story I wrote for you. I posted a new part of Ties That Bind. It's an interlude with Chase and Ethan. It's called Coming Soon, and Senna inspired it. And she and there was an awesome picture that Lady Holder sent me. In, Along with a little plot bunny, so I wrote a little interlude for tonight's um, commentary. But uh, like I said, when I started ties that bind, it was I was telling myself a romance story. I was just romancing myself, so to speak, uh, and I do that often. It's uh, because I'm a romantic at heart. I believe in love. I believe. And, um, and commitment and uh, fidelity and and finding that person that's supposed to be with you for the rest of your life and growing old together. I I really do believe in that, and I believe I've found that. Um, even if he is an ass hat sometimes, and he he Han Soloed me earlier this week, which is why that line ended up in Coming Home because um, he did he Han Soloed me uh, more than once. And so, um, now recently, I've been trying to work quotes from Blakes and Sells into everyday conversations to get back at him. Just, just because and it, there, there's no rhyme or reason to it. I just decided. And my current line that I'm having a hard time getting him to, I'm having a hard time maneuvering him into a way for me to say it. But my my current goal is to look at him right in the face and say, "You'd do it for Randolph Scott," and but he hasn't given me any any ends yet and it's really frustrating but he will. He'll, he'll give me an end and it will be funny and I'll be really pleased with myself. And after that I'm probably going to have to break out the Camp Town races because what's left, you know, uh, I'm a huge Mel Brooks fan. Anyways, <clears throat> romance. And <clears throat> we talk about dominance and in, um, well yes, in a scene when you are in a scene either as a dominant or as a submissive, there is a huge amount of power exchanged between the two people. And it has to be an equal exchange. There has to be trust and a giving and a taking and an acknowledgment of needs and fetishes. You know, if you encounter someone who can meet your needs that way it can be a very fulfilling experiment experience but if you don't it can put you off so you need to be careful if you decide to play with this a little bit be very careful because it can get out of hand it can get bad um and don't put yourself in a situation with someone you don't trust or someone you met on craigslist don't do that Unless, you know, you've known them for four or five years after you met them on Craigslist. I mean, you can meet somebody, just learn them, know them, spend time with them four or five years. Maybe ten before you <laughs> before you let somebody tie you up. And I don't mean know them online. It is I have a lot of friendships that formed online. And and they're great. They're fine. I love I love making new friends online. Um, I have I feel like my minions are family, you know, but and this is a big but. You can't trust somebody, really trust somebody with your physical safety if you've never looked them in the eye, if you've never had a real conversation with them in person, seen the way they move, seen the way their face looks. You know, heard the, the, the tones in their voice when they're angry, when they're when they're upset, when they're sad, and you know, online relationships like an intimacy required for sexual contact. I believe that—that's that, my opinion. So, don't have BDSM sex with somebody you meet on Craigslist unless you've known them for ten years. That's a rule. That's a new minion rule. Just live by it. Don't let somebody tie you up if you haven't known them for at least 10 years. It's just not safe. And also, it's really good to actually know their mother. Because that way, if they tie you up and do something stupid to you, you can tell on them. I'm just saying. Just saying. Another mom. Don't let a man tie you up unless you know his mother. Or his grandma. You know? <laughs> I got myself all tickled. Okay, so. Back to um ties that bind. One of my goals in writing Ties That Bind was exploring the romance of dominance and submission, but also to explore the power dynamic. So that you under so that I could understand myself and give to my characters an understanding of what it means to both dominate and submit. Because Really, for me, um, I do identify as sexually submissive, I suppose. I mean, you know, I've done it um, in my early 20s when I was in college. I, I had a dom, um, and I was submissive in the bedroom only. I couldn't live 24-7 that way as a pet or even just as a submissive. But, you know, there were things. We explored some stuff. We had some fun. I'm a masochist. um I'm a pretty extreme masochist. And we could talk about pleasure and pain, in it, but if you don't experience it, you can hear about it all you want to, and it won't make a damn bit of difference. Um, but I am someone who can actually have an orgasm during, um, like I had one during allergy testing when they used the little needles on my back. Yeah. I'm pretty sure if I ever got a tattoo, I would come repeatedly. <laughs> Maybe you didn't need to know that. I don't know. <laughs> My sister has the same issue. I don't. I don't know. It can't be genetic. I don't know, but she got a um, she got a butterfly on her shoulder for breast cancer, and it had a pink ribbon for the body of the butterfly, and had an orgasm while she was um, getting inked. Yeah, because <laughs> a woman, and a woman did it, and she goes, "Oh." My first orgasm from a woman. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have had acupuncture. Um someone, someone brought it up in ch- in in the um in the chat room. I have, and I did have the um. I didn't have the reaction to the needles because it didn't hurt. It, it was there was a little tingly feeling, sort of, but it wasn't pain. You know, it was um more like nerve response. But he also hooked up a mild current to the needles that I had. And that was an altogether different experience. (laughs) Because my back is a huge erogenous thumb for me. And so, yeah, that was fun. I I enjoyed that. I could enjoy that again. I like when um, I go to the chiropractor and they put those little electrical pieces of plastic on you and vibrate yeah that's that's the shit but yeah i'm a masochist and um i'm not i'm not a weird I'm not a weirdo <laughs> that's that's terrible i shouldn't say the word weirdo um there is a difference i'm I'm not someone who's interested in blood play there's no cutting um uh, stem units yes the stem units at the chiropractor are fucking amazing amazing, I'll be like, she'll she'll like dial it up, and she'll say, okay, tell me when it's too much, and I'm like, just keep on going, you can push it as high as you can, it'll be great, and it was, it always is, I try not to make any noise, I don't always succeed. (laughs) So, yeah, anyways. Masochism. When I decided to make Rodney a masochist in, damn monitors just went to sleep on me. When I decided to make Rodney a masochist in in ties that bind, it it, it was a personal kind of self-insert moment for me because I like I, I wanted to explore that because I've I've never as a writer explored that um, part of me, and I wanted to explore it in a way that was. Um, a little less revealing than what I would do if I did it in a name that you know. If I did it outside of fandom, if I did it professionally or whatever, it would be more. There would be more exposure, I guess, to that than if I just did it in fandom. Yeah. Nobody knows who I am in fandom, you know. So it was, and that's one good thing about fandom is it, it can give you freedom to explore ideas and concepts and you know personal preferences that you might not do normally, just because. Well, you know, for instance, um, there's no rimming <laughs> in my professional court, and there's rarely any anal sex because I'm mostly eye right hit. and um, as a as a rule. So yeah, so it's interesting to explore that in fandom and and have the freedom to do so. But uh, there we go. What I talked about um, briefly a couple weeks ago, maybe last week, I don't remember. When I talked about um, the opening of Ties that bind, and the first part oh, I lost my um, when John and Elizabeth are talking, and it opens up, and they're talking about going home to i Atlant- um going home to Earth and what they're gonna do there you know while they're there, and they're basically planning a mission, and that mission quickly evolves into getting McKay one way or another, they might as well have burst into the conference room and said, we're here to rescue you because that's what they were there for. That was their whole point. You know, they, that was the, we're going we're gonna to go in there and we're going to rescue him, you know, because that, that was basically what John and Elizabeth decided to do. They decided that he was not being treated appropriately and they needed a really awesome, genius and he was an awesome genius and so they decided to take him and squeeze him and call him George and so John did <laughs> that is one thing about Ties That Bind you can say the John Shepherd and Ties That Bind would never ever be accused of failing to secure his geek <laughs> he was all over that stepped right in and so that was the point of the first and you know and rodney is at this point kind of hopeless he's you know sam and his failed marriage has has reduced him to um a terrible place a terrible place both personally and professionally he he feels weak he's he's insecure his his place at the SGC is is undermined repeatedly by Carter, and I'm not a Sam Carter basher by nature. I don't actually have a problem with her character most of the time. I do think she's kind of a Mary Sue, but in canon, um, but I don't have a problem with her. I mean, Amanda Tapping is a is a beautiful woman, and um, I, I really enjoyed having a female character in science fiction who wasn't. Um, there just to be eye candy that that she was the smart one that she had all that going on and she was so smart and, and capable and she had a gun and it was great you know because you don't often see that in sci-fi or you didn't used to you know post or pre-Joss Whedon it was really girls in sci-fi were tits and ass but I made her the villain in Ties That Bind because I needed a strong female presence that was a villain and I knew it couldn't be Jennifer Keller because that's just ridiculous. But I also knew that it was going to be a temporary kind of background situation that would disappear because John and Rodney were going to Atlantis. And so Carter was actually the perfect choice and the perfect foil really for John because you know Carter had a lot to offer. Rodney originally, um, her intelligence, her her beauty, her career, her place in the SGC, um, the respect she had garnered from O'Neill—it was—it was a very attractive situation at the beginning. And Rodney loved her. He did. I mean, even if their dynamic wasn't what it should have been, there was love there, and that's a. Her ignorance, in as far as her dynamic goes, corrupted her. And that's a power corruption. And we talked earlier about power, um, power dynamics and submissive relationships with dominance. And the fact of the matter is, is that Rodney gave Sam Carter a lot of power in their relationship, both intimately and physically. And eventually, even professionally, she had a great deal of power over him. And if we know anything about power, that it's very easy for power to corrupt people. And here Carter is. She's untrained. She's unprepared. She's disappointed because she wanted O'Neill and didn't get him. And she's placed in a relationship with a man who's smart, who is highly trained sexually, and she, and he gave her. And Roddy's a very strong person. He's very strong um, emotionally, physically. He's, he, he's fit in this universe. He's, he's, he's got it going on. And all of this power, he gives it to her. And she doesn't know what to do with it. She has no idea how to handle it. She can't handle it professionally. She can't handle it emotionally. And she can't handle it sexually. She's just completely and utterly unprepared for the submission of another person. And it corrupts her. It makes it difficult for anybody to trust her. And Rodney learns that the hard way. And in focusing on her education her intellectual education and ignoring her social education she's created a situation for herself where she abused somebody in a way that she in the beginning didn't mean to but her lack of training a side bed of intellectual jealousy and the power that Rodney gave her and, and, and the way it corrupted made her resent their situation, made her resent him. In that situation, And she didn't want to let go. She didn't want to admit failure, and that's why she fought the divorce, and that's why she fought him going to Atlantis. She didn't want to let go of him because that meant she was a failure, that she failed at something. And that's not something that Sam Carter, even in canon, is used to experiencing failure. So I think Sam Carter and ties it her biggest fault is her inability to accept that she made a mistake in not taking social education seriously and that she failed in her marriage. And she failed to be a proper Dom. And she failed her submissive and her husband. And that kind of failure is, is difficult to get over. This personal and professional all got into a really ugly package that no one can ignore anymore. Because John Shepard stepped in and shined a big light on her mistakes. And now no one can ignore them. And that makes her it's easy to, you know, almost pity her for that. And because she's a product of her own mistakes and some of them unfortunately cannot be undone and they can't be made right because she went too far. She let herself go and nobody called her on it. And even after Rodney cut off her collar no one called her on it because she was brilliant and beautiful and she saved the planet so establishing Sam Carter as a villain wasn't because I liked to bash Carter but because I needed someone who was strong who could handle that kind of load as a character and I didn't believe that Keller could have done it and I didn't I think that Janet was the right choice at the SGC for that. Oh, just someone pointed out in the chat room that I adore, that I I like to bash Keller, and that's true. I adore. I fucking adore it. I love to bash Keller. I do. In fact, I want to write this little one-shot where I viciously murder her. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yeah. Vicious murder. Maybe I'll finally do an NCIS crossover where somebody beats Jennifer Keller to death on Atlantis while they're in the harbor, and uh, NCIS LA comes out to investigate it. (laughs) I just amused to out of myself. (laughs) You see G and Callan running around Atlanta trying to figure out who murdered Keller and then finding out that practically everybody but Rodney hates her. (laughs) And that everybody had motive to do it. Really, everybody had motive to do it. And then I'd be like I could write different endings so that like there'd be like ten different endings and the reader could pick which killer they wanted it to be. (laughs) And that person could confess to it. (laughs) Choose your own killer. Okay, okay, I'm sorry I got totally off topic there. Um, okay. So, once we got John and Rodney established and John collared Rodney and there is this <coughs> <coughs> this bond forming between them as lovers, they have to interact with their families and accept The changes that they've made together and the path that they've chosen to Atlantis. Because they, you know, they, they go to Canada and then they go to, to the Shepherds and, you know, and Rodney meets John's family. And this is a little early on in their relationship for Rodney to be meeting family. And, but... That's the way it happened, because John couldn't leave him behind, and if John didn't go home, John was getting his ass spanked next time he came (laughs) came home. So that happened. They had to take time away from the first few weeks of their relationship and meet family. And then this is also the first time that John encounters Kevin Jordan. He meets him in his own father's home. And, it's, and it's, it's a sign, a little bit of foreshadowing of how ugly it was going to get. Because this is a man who had absolutely no problem coming into Patrick Shepard's home and attempting to bully Patrick Shepard's son in front of him. This man has no sense. This man is an asshat so in this scene I'm telling the reader and I I hope you caught it this is somebody you need to pay attention to because he does not give a fuck it's not good so when they return to the SGC they encounter John encounters his first disciple and he's met Rampart before he had no idea Rampart's history until he's told Because Rampart originally um, trained at Lotus. And then trained at Desaad because of his wife. Because his wife refused to have a dom that wasn't trained at (laughs) Desaad. And she's a courtesan and she can fucking do that. So, here is John who's forced to um, deal with somebody he respects a great deal. And then on top of that, he's got Jack O'Neill who he's unsure about a little bit. Because before the mission, he had Colonel Sumner as a buffer. Sumner and John became very close throughout the mission that they were on in Pegasus. And so he comes back to Earth fresh from losing his commanding officer. And he has to deal with with Jack O'Neill. And Jack O'Neill is kind of an unknown quantity to him. He has no idea what to do with Jack or how that's going to work so it's a pleasant surprise when, when, when Jack seems prepared to go go to the wall for John over and over again throughout these meetings that take place and Rampart enters the mix and he has to deal with Rampart not only as a disciple of Gerard de Sade, but also as the commandant of the Marine Corps and this is this is a big man for the Marines. And so when I put that into place, I knew that the power dynamic between these two men was going to be really interesting because they're both doms. Rampart is his commanding officer, above and beyond anyone else. And he has to um, prove himself worthy of Gerard de Sade's North Star. And so that's... Uh, an interesting moment for John who's never really had to do that before. Because in the past he had a collar submissive. He didn't play those games. And most of the time when John walks into the room, he's He's on top of it. He's the blood heir of Dr. Raja, which means he's as far as hierarchy goes, there's no really there's no really higher predominance outside the military than what John is. So when he walks into the room he's used to being the most attractive person physically, emotionally, dynamically. And then you throw in, because his other submissive was trained, but he wasn't a courtesan, he wasn't a consort, and he wasn't a geisha. And so, John's on top. And now John's got a submissive who is considered the epitome of a submissive coming out of Desaad. He is the North Star of Gerard Desaad, and that is huge. It is Ginormous. And that's one reason why Rodney kept it a secret and Rodney didn't tell many people that Gerard decide was his pleasure master because it is a big deal. It is a huge deal. It it elevates Rodney socially to the level of Miko in Japan. <clears throat> Sorry, I didn't eat a little drink there. So John's having to deal with all that. He's collared somebody for the first time since the death of his um, his first submissive, Jared, and he's having to deal with that adjustment and learning the power dynamic between Rodney and himself. Starlight's asking in the chat room, is Rodney on that level everywhere in the world or just North America? The Desaad Institute is the oldest pleasure house on the planet. Rodney has that status before the world. And And John makes that clear when he talks to that man on the other planet where they're kind of coerced into... Exhibiting when he tells him that submissives like Rodney in the past would have performed for kings, and that by witnessing his submission that they were being given the gift that was on par with what a king of old would have been given or an emperor, you know, so it's it's huge to be given that by someone of his stature in the hierarchy of of earth's pleasure houses <clears throat> I I I gave Rodney that status because I'm a huge McKay fan. I love McKay. I hate to see McKay mistreated which makes it really easy to hate Sam for sending him to Siberia. That pissed me off. I always loved Rodney from the very beginning, from the very first moment he appeared on the screen. He was my favorite. And so I gave Rodney this this status and then made him hide it. <laughs> I don't know why. That means, I guess I have... Um, I guess it's, it's a point of uh, of um, author sadism, you know, that Rodney had to go through a little bit before he came into his own. You know, because he, cause he didn't have a great childhood. Um, and it was, you know, it was what it was. And I tend to give Rodney big moments and small moments and sometimes in the small moments the most powerful things happen and one of the most powerful powerful small moments in Ties That Bind is when John and Rodney discuss safe words Some writers in BDSM dismiss the responsibility of a safe word. That's their choice. It's not mine. A safe word, and John talks about this, a safe word is both a responsibility to the submissive and to the dominant. The submissive has to trust the dominant to honor the safe word and to read and understand their body during play and to learn their dynamic during play and figure out what pleasures them and what doesn't. So, yes, in the ink I've just hit it, when Rodney says... Basically, that he won't need a, um, a, a safe word after he's collared. John calls him on it. He says no, because as much as John has a responsibility to Rodney, Rodney also has a responsibility to John. Because a true submissive dominant dominant submissive relationship is a combination of checks and balances. And even if you know somebody really, really well, and even if you trust them beyond any measure of it, you can't even talk about how much you trust them. It's just this big swelling thing in you. You still have to accept responsibility for your own dynamic and to accept responsibility for the fact that you're giving somebody else power over you give and take and that is the point of a safe word it's not a matter of trusting your partner not to go too far and it's not a matter of it isn't isn't a matter of trust at all it's about knowing and understanding your own physical and emotional needs and knowing when to stop and having the strength say okay we've gone too far, and no matter how long you know somebody, you can know somebody for ten years and they can accidentally stumble over a line that you didn't even know could be crossed, and if you don't have a safe word, then you have created a situation where both you and the other person in the relationship have entered a, an abusive situation. What happens is um, if you allow, like if, if, if Rodney allows John to go too far and he doesn't say anything and it creates a situation where John feels like he's abused Rodney, on the other side of it, Rodney has also abused John's trust because John trusts him to say okay and to use a safe word if a line gets crossed. And if he can't trust Rodney to use his safe word in moments like this, then the relationship itself is in a great deal of danger. So a safe word is more than just a stop. It's more than just a way out. And I talked about that in one of the stories where Evan and Matthew are having an argument and Evan is pushing Matt pretty hard because Matt thinks that Evan wants to break up with him and Evan, you know, wants to call her Matt and so they're not even they're not even reading the same book at this point. And so there's a lot of frustration and there's a lot of anger and they're not communicating. And Evan asks him, you know, do you want to use your safe word? And Matt says no, you know, no, because he's not going to use his safe word as a way to get out of an uncomfortable conversation because that in itself would speak volumes about where they are and where they should be as far as, as, as Evan was concerned. So he asked that question to bring Matt back into the moment they were actually having and not the one Matt thought they were having. So um, it was a way of um, centering, recentering Matt on the situation at hand and not the situation that he'd built up in his head, which wasn't even remotely accurate. So a safe word, to, be, to, to me, is important. It's, it, it's huge. And those small moments like that with Rodney saying he won't need a safe word if he's collared, and John saying that's not how it's going to work, and Evan using the safe word issue with Matt to bring him back into focus when Matt's kind of going off, you know, because he has all these assumptions, and so it creates a uh, it should create a, a an, an intense amount of honesty in a relationship, and that's the basis of everything that you need to have a good, strong relationship with with someone is honesty and communication and um respect, and that's one of the things that i I hope that, as a writer i I gave ties that bind was was respect and um honoring someone else's strengths and weaknesses and and owning yourself sexually. Those are the things that I want people to take away when I read ties that bind because it's not just kinky sex; there's some kinky sex. And there's a lot of kinky sex in ties that bind. But it's not really about that. It's not really about the porn. It's about it's about learning who you are and what you want and learning to express that in a way that is safe and sane and consensual, which should be the foundation of any dominant submissive relationship. So, so the romance is there, and it was. There, there's, you know, Hamster talks about the themes of honor and integrity, and those are big moments. Those are big moments in ties that bind, um, because you have people who have a great deal of integrity, who who move and work in this world with honor, and they're respectful. And they they do the right thing, and, and Patrick is a very good example of that in, in this world. And then you have people like Kevin Jordan who have no integrity and no honor, and use dominance as a game, and it's not a fun game. His sadism isn't safe, and it isn't sane, and it isn't consensual, and um, another writer would have probably written in rape, but I don't do that. Uh, just to describe, just to bring home the point of how corrupt Kevin Jordan is, and I'm sure he's guilty of it. Didn't write it because I don't do that. I don't, I don't write rape. <sighs> I don't read it either. But um, so when you when you create a situation where where a world requires honor and integrity to function. And then you put somebody in that mix who has none of those things and is extremely disrespectful. And really, despite everything, has no concept really of what it means to be a dominant. And Kavanaugh, and this also has that problem, he confuses aggression with dominance. And John is both aggressive and dominant, but he's not sexually aggressive, and there is a difference. Um, he's sexually dominant, and he leaves his aggression at the door. That's a big, that's a big thing to separate. And people like Jordan don't separate it. And Kavanaugh has a serious problem with that because he's under the impression that submission can be taken, that submission should be taken. And he's wrong. And Rodney makes that perfectly clear to him from moment one. Which is, you know, fun, because I like When Rodney puts people in their place, it amuses me. That's why I write it that way. One of the most interesting parts of writing Ties That Bind were the exhibition scenes. Because I'd never seen anything done like that. I didn't know how to do it. I had no examples to to call from. I didn't know what to do with it. I I really didn't. I was like, how am I going to do this? Because when I thought, okay, we're going to have exhibitions, I'm like, what the fuck is going to be in an exhibition? What, what am I supposed to do here? And I never, because you know, I ne- no, I, I had no idea. I, I had no idea how to accomplish that, and so when I went into that first one, I had no. Um, when they're at the school and John and Rodney have been asked to perform for students, I had no idea how I was going to accomplish that or what it was going to be. And I just had it in my notes, an exhibition. Look, yeah, because that's helpful. Thanks. Thanks, Kara. Thanks for your fantastic plotting. Yeah, exhibition. Chapter 4, Scene A, exhibition. Great. Awesome. No idea. So I, I wrote several things, and they didn't work. And I wrote some more, and that didn't work. And then, and then I kind of turned it in my head and, and, and separated myself from the audience. And so what you'll notice in, in the exhibition scenes is that in order for me to write them, I had to separate John and Rodney from the audience as much as possible so that it became about them instead of about them and the audience. And I think what that did, and it wasn't intentional, was that it created some of the most intimate and powerful scenes in Ties That Bind. I think the exhibitions, especially the one um, in Singapore and the one um, on the alien planet, are extremely intimate the one in Singapore is the most intimate it is more intimate to me than any sex act that takes place in the entire story now of the exhibitions that are my favorites my favorites are the ones that got done on John's birthday and the one um, in Singapore they are very powerful and the one with the blood play which happens on John's birthday weekend thing um, it is, It is. when I wrote it, when I finished writing it, I just kind of had this, oh, wow, you know, look what I wrote. Cause, you know, as, as a writer, sometimes when you write something, you think, oh, that sucks. You know, and then sometimes you think, oh, my fucking God, look at that. That was great. You know, and I had that moment when I finished the exhibition with the with the blood play. And um, John has Rodney's blood on his hands, and he's 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 jacked off with it. And I was, that sounds filthy, um, but it was really powerful and intimate and um, I was just really, really pleased with it. And it's amazing to me, for me anyway, that these scenes where intercourse is not taking place and there is an audience sometimes of hundreds of people that the scenes on stage are just as intimate or not more intimate than the sex. Um, Because they're just really powerful and amazing um, relationship pieces. (coughs) Because this is not only... (coughs) Sorry, stupid pollen. This is not only Rodney submitting. This is Rodney, who's a very strong and powerful presence. This is him submitting to John in front of their peers. And this is him enjoying himself and, allowing, and surrendering to pain and pleasure and in a way that many people in that room had never seen before, which is why Kara Summers, her response was so visceral, and she was so upset. She'd never seen anything like that before, and it made her very uncomfortable. And in that discomfort, she lashed out. Um, and that's what, and, that's, and that's, that's how that situation came into play. She fears what she saw, and she fears John. And she believes that she's right. She had, this is this is not some evil plot for her. Now the rest of it, the plotting on the earth, that that's not really anything to do with her. She genuinely thinks that John's a monster, and, Rod, and Rodney needs rescuing. And, it, and it's ignorance on her part, yes, but she genuinely believes it. You know, so she's not. Um, she, she doesn't have some evil, nefarious plan. She really is just like John and Elizabeth. She there to rescue him. <laughs> you know, and it's not. And it's just ignorance on her part. She she's she was unprepared for it and never had any concept for it. And then she was exposed to it, and it was so beyond. Um. 'Cause you have, cause you have to remember that John is kind of a rarity. He's he's an extreme sadist and he's not someone who's gonna end up in jail, hopefully. Yeah. So, <laughs> that that wasn't a spoiler for the part, John isn't gonna end up in jail, I promise. Uh I don't do that shit. I believe in happy endings. Um, but what it talks but what it says is that <sighs> the thing is, is that John was not trained at the sod... And Desaad probably would not have trained him first. And the only dom that would have probably agreed to train him at Desaad would have been Gerard. Kara was trained at Desaad in New York. She was not trained by a sadist. And what you learned when they went to Desaad in, were they in Vancouver? I think so, Vancouver. When they went to DeSaud in Vancouver is that John, what John learned in Singapore isn't taught at DeSaud. It isn't taught at La Petite Mort. There is a reason why Patrick sent his sons to Singapore. Especially John. Because he knew that John would not get the training he needed to be a good man and Dom anywhere else but under the very tanned of Raja, period. That's what Patrick knew. Patrick understood more about John than in Ties That Binds and and than he does in any other AU that I write. John recognized and understood the depth of john's dynamic Patrick did before John ever even really recognized himself as a dominant, and that's why he sent his son to Singapore. That's why he sent David to Singapore so john there was a title r a j a Raja that's his last name um if you go to the website. You can look up, their character profiles, and his full name is on there, Xandris. And that was a question in the chat room. I apologize. That was out of the blue for those of you listening to the podcast. Um, and I'm probably saying his name wrong. There's a reason why I don't say the actual Pleasure House name in um, in these chats, because I have no ability whatsoever to say them, and I'm not going to try. Raja's first name is S. E. S-Y-E-D. And the, the D-A-T-O is a title in Malay. And hopefully I got it right. <clears throat> Anyways, <laughs> there's that. So Kara, Kara Summers is not the big bad coming into this, uh, <coughs> coming into the last part. He's not the big bad uh she's not the big bad because she is genuinely just mortified by what she saw because it's not common on earth, especially in the United States and in canada um to to see what John showed them, and the fact of the matter is is that it wasn't even it didn't even approach the limit. Rodney's Limit it was very light play for a masochist of Rodney's level and I don't think that Summers or the people at Desaude outside of Girard really understand that because you have to remember that Rodney was isolated and there were only two doms at Desaude who ever had Rodney and that was Alexis in Gerard. And Alexis was a hedonist, not a sadist. So the only sadist at Gerard to ever have Rodney was Gerard. And their training happened in private. And his... Since their training happened in private, um... Someone's talking about his name. I actually got the name off a name generator, Vandrus. So if it's wrong, I don't even know. Um, <laughs> well, I picked out different names from the name generator, and that was a last name in Singapore. Raja, R A J A. It was a last name in Singapore. Anyways, <clears throat> so the people that decide really have no concept of of how extreme. Rodney's uh, masochism is, and they were just as unprepared to see what happened between John and Rodney in that video as Kara. They weren't as horrified, and Heather wasn't horrified at all. She thought it was hot as hell, you know. And most of them did think it was hot, and, th- and most of them did not think it was abusive, but it was shocking. But the real, you know the real reason that Rodney is back on Earth for um, this trial with John is is not because of what happened between them on stage, but because Desaad has learned that the North Star wasn't even on the planet. (laughs) And they're like, and that's a, what the fuck? (laughs) What the actual fuck? What do you mean he's not on the planet? He's not in the galaxy? What? (laughs) What? And so they have this. What the fuck? Because they were unprepared for that as well. So, and and that's where that comes into play. And th- and that's where it is when I when I've stopped. And the reason part the part fifteen has not been posted is because I replotted, and it went from roughly forty thousand words to, I think my end product for the last. Part of the SGA arc of ties that bind is going to be around eighty thousand words, which will be the longest part to date yes it's the the situation that happens um, with the with the pleasure houses it's meant to be good it's meant to create situations where they can protect submissives and where they can act in a submissive on the submissive's behalf. behalf. Lady Holder is saying 100K. She could be close. Because, you know, you plot one thing and you get another. Because, <coughs> right, it, it happens. And that's before beta. So there's no telling how long it's going to be. You're just going to have to wait. But I promise you, when it gets there, when I post it, it's going to be worth every minute that you waited. I swear it you're going to think it's the most fucking awesome thing ever. Of course, and then I'm going to do my SGA Halo thing, and then after that, I'm going to dip my toes into Criminal Minds for real, and it will be awesome. I'm excited about that. I love Spencer as a character, and he's my main focus for um, that series series. I uh, have a couple of questions. Okay, okay. first question. How close to the edges of what you are comfortable with have you come to in ties that bind? I actually, and this is going to make me sound like a total freak, I actually haven't even come close to my own boundaries as far as ties that bind go. I, um, I'm capable of of pushing it pretty far and and being comfortable. The only time that I've pushed myself in a situation where I kind of got, oh, I stopped, that was when I tried to write the Alpha Omega the Alpha Beta Omega AU, and that pushed me further than I could handle, and that that was a boundary, and and, and that's the consent boundary. I have issues with consent, and consent must be explicit, and Yes, when I'm in the chat room someone's asking why I'm comfortable writing. And yes, that, that's exactly what I'm discussing, what I find uncomfortable or comfortable to write. And there is nothing in ties to bind that made me remotely uncomfortable. Not a damn thing. Not even the blood play. Um am it, it it really didn't. In fact, I could have probably gone a little bit further. I haven't done okay, and that falls into the next that i haven't really discussed what sort of kinks would you like to explore but either don't know enough about them or, or feel comfortable arriving writing or you just couldn't fit it into the story i couldn't fit it into the story <laughs> my favorite personal kink is um piercing i i love temporary piercing especially i think it's extremely hot it's really painful and it's great it's very pleasurable if you're a masochist and um I had it done once when I was in college, and I bet I had six orgasms that night. I wore a play piercing corset, and um I would really love to do one in ties that bind. There is a scene where there is some play piercing. it happens off stage, and when you see Declan and um Sean on stage, he has play piercings. And they did that for Rodney because that's a big um, kink in sod. And um, I would love to do... And they do discuss some piercings. And there is a piercing scene where Rodney pierces, where John pierces Rodney's nipples. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about play piercing. And if you go um, to uh, YouTube, you can find um, some play piercing videos where they... where they do corsets where they pierce the back and then they lace ribbons into it like a a corset and I had that done in college and it was fucking amazing so if I could do anything it ties it by that I have not done yet it would be a play piercing of that nature and it would be probably really intricate and painful and sexy (coughs) if you look up play piercing corsets in google you might get a couple of hits that will make sense to you um in play piercing there can be a little bit of blood sometimes a lot depending on the gauge of the needles being used um it can be very sexy painful and um yeah it's hot i really enjoy it so if there is any one that i would do it would definitely be that and i have not done that um The play piercings that Sean had had little chains on them in his um, exhibition, but that happened off-scene, and um, I didn't get to do it, and I would would love to do that. Um, Popkin asks, will there be another series based on the ties that bind universe? Yes, there will. I am very interested in My Criminal Minds. I'll be doing that. It'll be a Spencer read Erin Hotchner pairing, and I will have a side pairing of um, Garcia and Morgan, and I'm really looking forward to it. I I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Lazarus has a lot of questions. Next time, we should probably work on making some lines between them so they're easier to separate. <laughs> okay. What rights are actually guaranteed to submit as bound or not? Um, I think that, keep in mind, um, that social politics and legal rights aren't the same thing. They aren't even the same thing in our world, just to be clear. Um, what you think you're entitled to and what you're actually entitled to are actually in two entirely different things. Um, doms and submissives have the same legal rights in the, in the AU that I wrote. They <clears throat> have the right to file assault charges against somebody or rape charges against somebody. That's not, I mean, they all have the same le- basic legal rights because submissives aren't legally and cannot be legally considered slaves in any way. The problem comes from social politics. The difference between a bound and unbound submissive, legally there are are none, except for the fact where social and pleasure houses come into play, social politics and pleasure houses. Legally, there's a scene where Declan tells John that a commanding officer in his past cut off Sean's collar and attempted to force another collar on him. And Declan demanded the right to punish this man personally. Had he not, he could have filed assault and collar interference charges against the man responsible for cutting off Sean's collar. And he could have that man could have in turn been punished by a government official physically and or put in prison you have to keep in mind the difference between social and legal situations legally Sean could have filed charges against the man who cut off his collar for assault collar interference um, attempted rape but he left it to his dom and his dom chose to cripple him for life Because while it's not said explicitly in that scene, Declan did to his commanding officer what Raja did to Jordan. (laughs) That man will never get over what was done to him, for what he tried to do to Sean. What is Devereaux's reasoning for trying to treat Rodney like property? He doesn't have any. He's such an asshole. You he has no social or legal right to force Rodney to do anything. But he's an asshole. And what we talked about earlier is that, earlier on Facebook, um, Fan art asked me a question about um, voluptuous or overweight women and, and how they might be treated in um, my AU, and I talked about how body shaming would be socially um, frowned upon, and um, that people would be encouraged to embrace everyone for their differences. But then there would be people who were vain. And just like that, there are people who are arrogant and entitled. And there are people who are just as just as arrogant and entitled and terrible and horrible and asshole in this world as there are in the AU that I wrote. So, you have to keep that in mind. You know, that there he doesn't need justification to be an asshole because people don't need justification to be an asshole now in this world. It, he doesn't need any. As far as the Pleasure House owning a submissive they trained. They don't. He's corrupting a system that's meant to per- submissives and using it against Gerard. This entire trial for Devereux has nothing to do. See, everybody coming into this trial has a different agenda. and Keep that in mind. Devereux is trying to shame Gerard. He's trying to fuck Gerard's life up because he thinks he's entitled to be the housemaster of Desaad, and he didn't get it. It was given to Kyle Napier instead, and at Gerard's instruction. So this is a revenge for him. Rodney is insignificant, really, only that he's a weapon. He's a weapon against Gerard, and that is the whole point. And that's also for Devereux. John is a weapon against Gerard. Period. That's the only, that's Devereaux's agenda coming into this trial. Peerboard has another agenda. And it's a little more interesting. Number one, they had no fucking idea that Rodney wasn't on the planet. We discussed this earlier. And as a result, they are a little put out by the idea that someone they consider very special and very valuable to their house as a person and as a submissive has been put in a position where he is in a great deal of danger. It makes them uncomfortable because they believe submissives are special and should be treated a certain way, pampered, and especially one of Rodney's standards. He's, he's a notch above and so they are under the impression that Rodney should be you know, living in a life of luxury and shouldn't have to be working, number one, and shouldn't be working in a war zone, number two, and, oh, my God, what's a race? You know, so you know they're just freaked out and scared. And they're responding to Devereaux's mania. And then you have Kyle Napier, who's in front of this trial, and he's having to balance the rules of his house with the wants of his own Pleasure Master. Because he is a disciple, and Gerard trained him, and he is loyal to Gerard first. You need to keep that in mind. Of everybody in the room, Kyle Napier is going to be loyal to Gerard first. It makes a big difference. because He's coming into this trial, and his purpose is to protect Gerard and the only way he can protect Gerard is to protect Rodney. That's what that's what that boils down to. So, coming into the trial, everybody has a little bit of a different agenda. And it's not about owning anybody. It's about revenge, fear, um, ignorance, shock. You know, so it's it's not just one Motive coming at people, and none of them are prepared for what Rodney plans to do. And I'm not going to tell you, but it's going to be great. You'll be, I'll be, I'm thrilled. I'm, I'm thrilled with my idea. I, I think it's really exciting. So Rodney is going to make them bitterly regret, especially Devereaux, because Devereaux really, Devereaux is arrogant, and he's. Um, He's completely unaware of the fight that he's picked because he's so focused on Gerard. He has no idea he's poked a sleeping dragon. And he's going to pay for it. He'll wish that someone killed him before everything is said and done. Because you know, Rodney. Rodney is in a situation for the first time in a very long time where he feels safe and he's not ready to admit it yet but he loves John and he's not going to part with John and he's going to fuck all of them up including Gerard if Gerard crosses him there is no one in that room outside of John who is safe from Rodney's wrath if they don't do what Rodney wants just to keep that in mind. I've already okay. I've already. I I think I've already answered um, answered the uh, Carter question that she had. Okay. I don't know how to say your name. Hermia says I completely and utterly adore TTB. It's one of my favorites, and the other is TD. I guess that stands for Tangled Destinies. You introduced me to the SGA fandom and McKay Shepard for which I thank you. Well, thank you. I thank you personally because it's always great to hear when someone loves my work. And also that I popped your cherry. (laughs) I popped your Stargate cherry. That that, that makes me happy. (laughs) Okay. My question is, apart from the new throwaway comments that you haven't made a big deal about John's bug DNA, I was a little surprised when in the last part, John's eyes turned black. Was this a purposeful thing, or was it used to illustrate just how angry the whole situation had made him? You know, I think this is the only time I've ever, I've ever been grateful that my kids wake me up in the middle of the night. <laughs> okay, John's eyes and John's bug DNA. What you need to keep in mind about John's character and Ties That Bind is that from a very young age... He was um, restraint, and he was taught to control his temper and to moderate his reactions. And even in combat, he is one cool-tempered motherfucker. I mean, you don't, you know, he he's someone who could shoot you in the head and not even get his pulse elevated. That, that's the John that you meet and ties that bind. And so he's so used to controlling himself that after the bug stuff is gone and he's left with the DNA that they couldn't get rid of there are drives inside of him that are at work. Instinctual drives. And he's been very good about controlling them that for controlling them, and this all comes from how he was, you know, he was trained as a, as a young man. So it worked out in his favor in, in, in more ways than one, because there is an animal inside John, and as much as Devereaux has been dragon when it comes to Rodney, they've woken something up in John. It's very territorial, and Rodney is his. Rodney is John's mate. And the reason that I had his eyes turn black in that last part, in a demonstration of his temper, it's a thing you call foreshadowing as a writer. And it was a hint that what was going on inside John is far more intense and violent and potentially murderous than what you're seeing on the outside. And he's dangerous. He's very dangerous. And if they try to separate him from Rodney, he's going to kill them. And so the little black eyes thing was a, a hint, a foreshadowing of pay attention because there's an animal here, he's a predator, he's an apex predator, and he's he's not happy, and they're invading his territory, and they're endangering his his mate, and it makes him uncomfortable. <clears throat> and people are going to get fucked up. Because John was never more serious than he was in that moment when he told Devereaux that he could kill him. And if he did it in this moment and in this room, he would probably get away with it. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what that was. That was just a little bit of foreshadowing there. Um, that's all the questions on my live journal. I'm going to go... Oh, I've got somebody on hold. Oh, I'm sorry, you're on, you've are on. been on hold for 18 minutes. Let, uh, lady Holder, is that you? Is that somebody else? That's not you. Okay, um...
2: It's Hannah.
1: Hi, how are you?
2: I had to call in because I had to say thank you for my presence.
1: Oh, you're was welcome. Awesome. Best <laughs> was it everything you hoped?
2: Ever. <laughs> it was more than that. I was so excited because I totally wasn't expecting the caller thing. I was mm-hmm. like, I was nowhere. I was so thrilled. I was like, oh,
1: my God, yeah. yay.
2: <laughs> I really enjoyed
1: writing it. Did, did you did you notice my little um Easter egg in the middle of it? Ian. I don't
2: think so because I was trying to I Yes.
1: Ian. Ian hasn't excited. made an appearance in the entire um uh series and um I, so I snuck excited. him in to the interlude. The the interlude, yeah. So
2: <laughs> I was, was excited. I was like, Oh my god. <laughs> she said
1: we'll I was like, oh. yeah. The fun part was that when Lady Holder was beta was beta in it how you say that beta? When she was doing the beta on the project, <laughs> I was on the phone with her and she was like, Oh, Ian <laughs> And she got really excited and that was fun. And then of course she had to know immediately where Jimmy was, you know. Jimmy slash Nathan, never mm-hmm. how I've named the clone and that and I haven't decided yet. So I don't know. What how um, did you have a Huh? (laughs) What houses are they trained at? I'm pretty sure that Ian went to La La Petite Mort. Um, And I would say the the, the same thing for the clone, because that's where Jack went originally. Um, I think that the Pleasure House wouldn't be very aware of the fact that um, they would know his history. Because the fact of the matter is, is (coughs) if they didn't, they'd have a hard time explaining how he suddenly existed.
0: (laughs) And didn't (laughs)
1: exist before, you know, so they're not going to let some stranger, you know, some strange person with no background into their pleasure house without some assurances from somebody that he's not a serial killer.
2: He's not a psycho. Right, so, do you have
1: any questions? He's (laughs) not from Australia. Yes,
2: actually. Okay. (laughs) Um, Okay, so the last time that we were in chat, uh, we were actually theorizing how I could get around the woo fat thing, Mm because... I, I really don't want to write him. I have no desire to write him in Tsunami
1: Bomb. Ah, How much... Okay, for their, for, for How? our readers, for our listeners who don't know, Senna is writing a Ties That Bind AU set in the Hawaii Five O fandom. It is available on AO3. And if you go to my series uh, page on my site, you'll see a link for it. And so... What what do you want? Do you want me to tell you how to get rid of him? The the wolf fat issue? Oh, no, I know.
2: know. No, I've I've figured out how I'm going to get rid of him. Mm. When you told me that I could kill him in certain situations, I knew exactly what I was going to do then. But if... Ah, fuck. This was a mistake. I'm realizing this now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to figure out how to set this up so that I can give you the full thing. Without giving out spoilers for the entire next chapter. (laughs) And it's not working right. Fuck. I have backed myself into a corner. Damn. Oh, the Um,
1: beauty of live radio. Right?
2: (laughs) So, there's a situation that involves low fat. Okay. Oh. Anyway... Um, he, For those of he you who don't watch
1: a Y five O, Wolf Bat um, is a big bad guy in the show. So he's Steve McGarrett's arch nemesis. <laughs> yes, okay. but
2: I have no intention of writing him because I hate the motherfucker. So. Okay.
1: But he's pretty. <laughs> pretty was. <laughs> he was he's is, not pretty anymore. <laughs> he is
2: pretty. Oh, that's right. They fucked up his face, didn't they?
1: Yeah, they did. Bad. It's bad. It's not really attractive at all. Okay, continue.
2: Uh, Anyway, okay, so one of the submissives that is under Steve's control gets in a situation because of WoFAT. It is a very terrible situation. It's one that they are going to end up having to have therapy over. That's about as far into this as I can get without saying anything else. Um, if If the submissive was not under Steve's command, would he still be authorized to kill WoFAT?
1: You have a unique situation here because Steve's a cop in Hawaii 5 He has a responsibility. But he's also, yeah. He's a Navy officer as well. He's also a dom, and he has a responsibility overall socially to protect people, not just submissives, but, but people in general. And if you put him in a situation where he can do it in the heat of the moment... No one's going to question him. Now, in the United States, in the AU, cold-blooded murder is still a crime. <laughs> okay? Damn. Keep that in mind. Now, in Singapore, Roger could have killed Jordan and gotten away with it because that wasn't – They considered what he did a capital crime, and Raja, as the master of that house, which I'm not going to say, thank you, um, would have had the right to execute him. He was put on trial. He was found guilty in the discussion, and his sentence was at the house master's leisure. Yeah. That being said, he was asked not to kill the man. He decided to not kill him. But even if he had, even if he'd gone too far and he'd actually killed Jordan, he'd have gotten away with it in Singapore, which is why he took him to Singapore. Mm-hmm. So he wouldn't be subject to anybody else's rules on the matter. So...
2: Nancy, the, the, this is the part that's where it's a little bit of a gray area, and that's why I wanted mm-hmm. to actually call in and ask you about it. The Was ambiguity of... A- He's he's not a U.S. citizen, right? And so, technically, if Steve finds him outside of the United States, is he still able to? Like, would he still have to adhere to United States? So, oh, what law? you're
1: asking me is if he chases Wofat out of the country and kills him. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: Prince. That's exactly what I'm asking. <laughs>
1: There's, okay. Because there, they don't have penitentiary inside the vine. This, this is some, um, you have to think about the integrity of your character. That's true. Um, and it's, so this is a very layered question. Number one, do you want to have the hero of your piece hunt somebody down and kill them in cold blood? No matter what that person has See, done. Ah.
2: See, if it were me, I would hunt him down and kill him, but...
1: Because that creates a different layer to your character. Yeah. Now, the fact of the matter is, is in canon, that is exactly what Steve would have done. If he could have found it. That is true. Um, (laughs) Because Steve is a Navy SEAL. He is... um,
2: He's a heavily trained combat asset.
1: Exactly. And... The permanent solution to Wofat is execution, and that and that has all and that's pretty much been Steve's um, goal for Wofat since the beginning. Now, when he's caught him in Hawaii, he puts him in jail. Yeah. But if he had caught him in the jungle in Korea, he'd have put him in a hole.
2: See, and that's but, where I have to balance the characterization that I've given him.
1: Exactly with the, because
2: the rules for the world and everything else
1: he's trained he's been trained to um, he, he's been trained in several ways as a, um, as a military asset as a as a dominant and um, he has responsibilities and the integrity of his character um, you have to establish it and keep it yeah. So if you let him hunt somebody down, no matter who they are, and kill them in cold blood, then you have to accept that this murder is going to ripple out around your character. If it doesn't... Yeah, because I can't, I
2: can't see Danny accepting something
1: like that either. It will be disingenuous if it doesn't ripple. And yeah. Michelle's pointing out that in canon, Wolf fat is Yakuza, and this is true. Um, that's a, That's like... Kicking a anthill, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, if he kills Wofat in a situation where he's defending somebody else, it will be a defensible, honorable act on his part. So, you have to ask yourself: Do you want Steve act in this situation with honor? And if he doesn't, how will that impact the other characters that he interacts with? How will Danny perceive him? How will Kono perceive him? How will Chen perceive him? How will the people who he answers to, like, like the governor, look at him? Yeah. If they know, and if they don't know, if he keeps it a secret, how is the secret going to impact him and his relationships? And all of it. I think I've
2: got a pretty good idea of what I'm gonna do now,
1: okay, so yeah, so you know and this is a good this is actually a good exercise for people is that when you know when you're writing a character and you give them an action, and John in what might have been commits murder
2: he I'm kills sorry. he
1: does he kills the guy who um, has been hired to assassinate Rodney, and <clears throat> when he comes back from it. <laughs> And his dad is sitting in in Jack's office, and they're all you know they're all waiting for John to come back, and they all know what he's been up to. You know, yeah, everybody knew it was a secret, <laughs> and it was a sanctioned kill. That he was ordered. He was ordered to kill him.
2: Yeah, he had the security. That being
1: said, John enjoyed it. I can't really say. I'm and and if that wasn't. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was under orders, but he he enjoyed it. He had no problem doing it. It was. <laughs> I wouldn't say it got him off or it got him hard, but he enjoyed it. And and that yeah. plays into John's character because in what might have been the bug is a little more uh, prominent than yeah. in any other series that I've written it that way. So yeah,
2: I never really read it as th- that particular scene. I've never really read it as it was stimulating for John. I've always read it as it was satisfying for him because he had taken out
1: the threat. Right, it's exciting to his mate. and satisfying. Yeah, it's exciting and satisfying. Not stimulating, no. Um, it, it. It's not sexually blah, blah, or, or anything like that. Yeah. It's just, he's satisfied he's by sarcastic. it, and, and it's excited. Um, so, no, no, but yeah. So when you give your character a... A big a moment.
2: situation like that.
1: It's a big moment, and it's going to ripple because yeah. bigs and smalls well, do, has, but they ripple differently. Yeah.
2: Pivotal point in the story. Right. So, it's going to. So if you,
1: you know, and the thing is, this is this is something that you can, you know, when you're paying um, lip service to the reader a little bit here. Um, readers really, really, really enjoy a justified killing. <laughs> Well, you I can, can make safely it, like, say boom. I... Now, do you watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Yes. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil it for anybody who that... hasn't seen it, but you know that last scene where Coulson, he finds that weapon, and he uses it, and then he walks away all calm and shit like he didn't do what he just did? Did you not laugh your ass off? Because uh... I did.
2: I think you know I think know what part you're talking about, but it's... I
1: found it! Yeah. <laughs>
3: Anytime that Coulson gets
2: a chance Anytime that Coulson gets a chance To be a badass And then just walks away With like that little smirk on his face Where he's like Yep I'm a badass Now I'm going to go make a bad
1: joke Yeah I told you it was here I found it Because Dude's all excited Because he's Thinks he's going to get away? Oh, it's fucking fantastic. I busted out laughing. I thought it was the funniest thing. I oh, my God, I loved it. But anyway, so when you give your reader a moment like that, uh, yeah, someone said it's a, commu- like a like a community service. When you give your reader a moment like that, it's it's satisfying to the reader and it and it moves your story. And it also refocuses your story in a way that um, allows you to, to move your reader in a direction that maybe they didn't expect to go. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, like, the,
2: another really good example, uh, season finale for Sherlock season two, season finale yeah. for Sherlock season three. I mean, yeah. the the way they, the, the what they did in season two, I'm not, I swear, I'm not going to say spoilers. Don't yell at me in the chat room. I can't read it right now, but I'm not going to spoil anything. All I'm saying is <laughs> that moment when Sherlock makes that choice, I I literally, like, stood up off the couch on the couch I stood on the couch and did a little literary dance it
1: was awesome yeah
2: it was one of the best moments in that series
1: Fanart Art says in the chat room Colson should have a harem of pretty he deserves it sweetheart don't you watch that show he already has a harem of pretty he does (laughs) even Sokka Ward's pretty
2: (laughs) Fitz and Simmons Ward I could be without May
1: May, I May. love May. She's my favorite. May She's is a badass
2: unicorn. Mm. <laughs> she
1: really is. I love May. Do you have any other? Do you have a question about ties at buying? Because I, I have another caller.
2: No. No. Okay. Well, I just wanted to call and discuss Will because I was actually having issues with that. I was like, oh, I could do it this way or I could do it this way, but he's gonna die either way.
1: So.
2: <laughs> he's gonna die, <laughs> die, die. Oh yeah, It going be, be probably one be? of the most
1: what you could do um, that would be especially powerful um, is to have someone unexpected kill him. Who? I don't want to say who because it will be a spoiler.
2: No, I, I'm pretty, no, that that actually plays in perfectly. I know exactly yeah. who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, that plays in perfectly with everything else that's going on. Mm-hmm. hmm that works, see? I, I think we've am farther
1: than the average bear.
2: <laughs> True story. Well, and that just kind of adds <laughs> a little bit of layers yeah. to that particular individual being there.
1: And the more you oh. layer your story and the more you push your characters into these layers and, and blend them together, the richer the tapestry of your story will be and it will make it memorable. So, you know, one day some asshole will be in Stargate or Hawaii Five-O Fiction Finders going, hey, I had this story that I can't remember the name or the author, but this, this, and this happens. And you'll be like, oh, that's my shit. I love when that happens. I love when I come across my own story being searched for in um, in um, SGA Story Finders. And very rarely do I ever get to say, because somebody's already beat me to it.
2: <laughs> I know. When so. you got to do that for Ties of Mind, I was excited for you. <laughs>
1: That I did a was little victory awesome. dance. I, I had like, my hands up in the air. <laughs>
2: Touchdown. <laughs> I I know that victory <clears throat> dance well. Yeah. That was that was the dance that I did when somebody left the comment that when they got to the end of Tsunami Bomb they were a little confused that it wasn't actually written by you. That was probably one of the most <laughs> gratifying comments I've gotten on that story.
1: I would like to say for anybody who reads Tsunami Bomb, who has read it in the past or who, who will read it in the future, I was a beta, and Senna did ask my opinion on where her character should be fucking trained, and I agreed with her. All the choices she made as far as training goes have my 100% approval, and shut the fuck up about it. Really.
2: I Just swear to God, if I ever find out thank who you, it was, that said that to me, I swear to God, like, I will find you. I will hunt you down because I have a special set of skills.
1: <laughs> I will use them again. I will again find too. you. <laughs> I will find you and I will kill you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, have, yeah. you I love, love that movie because we we
2: that is one of the best Liam Neeson movies ever. I
1: hate the second one, but the first one was I didn't like awesome. the second
2: one either, but yes, What's it called? was.
1: What's it called?
2: Uh, taken. Um, taken.
1: Taken. Liam Neeson. Fucking, Fucking amazing. Awesome. Watch the first one, skip the second one. True story. You missed nothing. No,
2: anyway, really. somebody
1: doesn't. I Anyway, somebody um, early on when she first posted the first part of Salami Bomb said that she should have asked me, the original author, where her characters would have trained. The implication yeah. being that Senna had fucked it all up. She didn't. She yeah, We we discussed it. I was a beta. I'm fully aware of everything she did in it, and fuck you. Two I know hours I,
2: just discussing the houses.
1: Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah, we there was a lot of effort put in that shit, and I don't appreciate your fucking unappreciation. <laughs> anyway, I got another caller. Thank you for calling, Sina. I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you for taking my call. Thank you for my presence, and thank You're you for welcome. Ties the lines.
1: Okay. Good night.
2: Have a good night. Bye.
4: Lady Holder on the air. I am indeed. So, I was at first question that you asked about um, Mm -hmm. how far you you push, and I know one of the things that um, we have talked about over, over some of the, the betas because you worry about repeating yourself is keeping everything fresh. Um, how much have you had to wander into the wilds of the Internet to find things to put in there because, you know, sometimes you have to go look.
1: Um, the most interesting search I ever had to do was when I put in the search term Glass butt plug. When John and Rodney go to the pleasure supply store, um, uh-huh. I had no fucking idea what would actually be in one of those. I mean, I've been in sex toy stores before, um, but this is a little more than a sex toy store. This is a store that is in a world that caters to sexual dynamic in a serious serious way. And so it had you to be
4: ever come more. Out. It mm-hmm. had to be like you the Jared's out here. Of, of sex toys. They yes.
3: to Jared. You come
4: Jared. <laughs> yeah. I, you ever come out here and I know it. I'm taking you to Castle Boutique. Okay? <laughs> I know of a place that took over an old drugstore. Alright, this is not one of the little corner spots. Wait, it's, are they one of the ones that have in in the
1: drop-through condoms? Um... I think they they so. have a drive-through
4: because no, they don't. there are some no
1: adult stores out here that have drive-thrus, and you can drive through. And if you purchase through the drive-thrus, they'll give you free condoms. Not that I've done this. I'm just saying. <laughs>
4: <laughs> no, we've got drive-through liquor stores. We don't have drive thru because
1: because when I'm buying sex toys, I'm going in. This is on McDonald's moment. <laughs> I need to look at stuff. Yes, this is... I need to see things. Yeah. Um. But uh-huh. yeah, so you know. That was, you know, that was something that I had to really invest myself in. as um, I had to also research canes, especially for play, yeah. to make sure that I was using um, the right width and length for pleasure
3: mm-hmm. versus
1: something that might be used for capital punishment. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. and I also um, there was uh <laughs> There was... Uh, when um bullwhips came up and Mm -hmm. uh i watched videos on youtube of this man playing with a bullwhip and how it would sound and i closed my eyes and stuff Mm -hmm. like that just to just to hear it just to see you know and to imagine how that might feel if it hit me because i'd never had that experience i had been caned um i've i've had a flogger as well um i even had Mm -hmm. I've, i've i've also had a violet wand um but I'd never had a bullwhip. Already I, that's,
3: yeah,
1: that's not somebody. That's not. That's not a tool that I would trust somebody with in reality. Just to no. put it out there, the whip is a very dangerous and violent mm-hmm. tool, and I would not trust somebody with it in my body. I, I just no. wouldn't. Um, I also wouldn't trust somebody with a really heavy cane, and um, for that for that very, that very reason as well, or mm-hmm. one that's not made of wood. Yeah. Never um, let somebody spank I, I, you with a synthetic cane of any kind. If God, it's not wood, don't let it near your butt. It's not gonna.
4: Yeah. It's not gonna. It's not gonna be. It's not gonna move right. Um, <sighs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That was the point. The stores, yeah. Of ties that bind in Colorado Springs remind me of the Cartier store in Paris, but with sex toys, it's intimate, velvet, and precious.
1: Exactly. Yep. I wanted to have. Yep. I wanted it to be upscale and lovely and sophisticated and not sleazy. So I had to put a lot of thought into how it looked into my head. So um, researching mm-hmm. um, stuff like that, um, what the material, what the tool, tools would be made of, high quality tools would be made of, versus you know buffalo hide versus regular cowhide. Mm-hmm. Um, just just stuff like that. Just what well, what would be considered a luxury in this AU, and I had to figure that out for myself, you know, what's a luxury and what's mm-hmm. not, you know, because um, I had no place to build. I one had to build my own foundation and start on top of it,
4: you know. Right. Okay, so here's another one. Why collars? Why not um, on the wrist or something else similar? Um, The collar
1: is merely because Zanf did it. Because you have to keep in mind that as much as um, Ties That Bind is my own, it also is an AU of Zant's story. Okay. Um, And there are lots of things in Ties That Bind that are directly from her. And Mm -hmm. it's not just dump dynamics. It's the collars. It's the names on the collars. Um, One -hmm. of the biggest parts of her her AU was the soul bonding. Mm -hmm. And I mention it in one of the parts
4: where You yeah, did.
1: Yeah. Where John and um John. Patrick kind of joke about it. But it's a it's not a make fun of joke but a I wish it was real thing. You know? Mm-hmm. It was like a moment between father and son where they were acknowledging that that they both kinda of wished that soul bonding was possible. Yeah. And so that was a play, was a play on Zant's world as well. And there are other little things that you find in ties that bind beyond the big one, which is, of course, the dynamic um, AU that everybody mm-hmm. has at AU. And I also approached asexuality very differently than she did, mm-hmm. and it was kind of viewed as deviant, and I didn't do that in mine. But there are lots of things um, that I took directly from her when I built my AU because it is supposed to be an AU of her universe
4: hmm
1: so, okay. so the collars and the names on the collars,
4: that came from Zant. Okay. And the, the – we don't have much time left. Um, no. The Pleasure House thing is – I know you've said that you part of the reason you did it the way you did is because um, it was a reaction to what in the hell and, and you know, these people have to be trained. Okay. Rodney.
1: It was a reaction um, to Rodney more than anything.
4: Yeah. Because
1: Rodney's very big on educating himself. And so, of course, if he's mm-hmm. this, he'd want to educate himself about this. And I was like, well, okay, if if, if if they've always been this way, then they have to do this. Because even, you know, even in communities in reality, and there are large BDSM communities, probably in the cities mm-hmm. that you all live in, you just don't, you're not aware of it. Oh, yeah. There are clubs. There, there are underground networks and clubs. And um, that you're just not even that you just don't even notice that that are there mm-hmm. um, it's not as small scale as you might believe, but they're very insular, um, mm-hmm. isolated from regular society because people don't understand and they, they don't want to understand, and then they treat them badly, and it's you know it's it's terrible, but in these communities, there are individuals and places where you can be taught various things Mm -hmm. you can be taught how to cane somebody you can be taught how to spank somebody you can taught you can be taught how to be spanked and enjoy it you can be taught play piercing so in a society like ours in reality where yet there's already training taking place it seemed to me that if this was mainstream and it mm-hmm. had always been mainstream and that we had been a society that evolved into this. That, of course, like we did with other areas of, of society, we formed schools to teach each other how to read and write, and to teach our history, and to teach people how to be doctors and nurses and lawyers. So, of course, in a society like that, where teaching is such a fundamental principle of the community, there would be pleasure houses nothing else made sense because at our nature we learn and we give that knowledge out we share that knowledge that that, that's just what humans do so it made sense to me that 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 there would actually be pleasure houses that there would be places where people could learn to be what they were meant to be and so they could explore that in a very safe way so it just it was a very organic thing
4: Yeah. It's um it's things that, that, you know, you have to think have to, to, to question and you know, um, one of the other things we were talking about earlier was how some of the different phantoms that we both like, how we would we would label people or, or pigeonhole them. And yeah. how interesting and shocking it would be um if some of those people were not the the standards. Because um, Rodney McKay, you know, Canon Rodney McKay, just he is not somebody who you would expect to be, you know, a sub, okay? I don't Um, know about that, actually. I don't. I don't agree with that, I don't think. Well...
1: Well, see, the thing if, of, for Rodney, that for can, me, parts of it I can't. Rodney um, has a persona in public of of being um arrogant, and it's a it's a it's a layer of protection and armor, so to speak. But Rodney genuinely wants to be loved. He wants to be liked. He wants approval. He is just he's someone who seeks approval and find satisfaction in it and that's submissive at his okay. face does that just my personal opinion? yes he's loud he's arrogant and in public but there are moments even in canon when he's careful because he desperately wants the person on the other end of it to like him
4: ok well that might be one reason why he knuckles over to Keller yeah Yeah.
1: Now I can write Rodney as a Dom. I just don't see him that way. Um, I can't see John as a submissive at all because if he was submissive, he'd be a much better officer. (laughs) I'm just saying he would follow orders a great deal better if he actually was submissive. Oh, my God, yes. (laughs) He got in a lot of trouble for not following orders. A submissive would follow orders. (laughs) Yeah, just saying. He'd be a much better officer. He probably he'd probably be a full guard colonel going on to Atlantis if he'd been uh-huh. uh, a
4: submissive. Mm. Yes, yes. There, God, the the image of what um, John would be like is in some ways is uh, you know Matt only. I'm wondering, he probably would not have gone. He sure as hell wouldn't have gone the route of the geisha. He'd probably be, be a dragon or something else.
1: Oh yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I agree.
4: Yeah. So it's you know there's 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 things about ties that bind and how it works that you built a world that is whole and in and of itself and that is pretty cool. Well, thanks. Yeah. There's a lot of
1: history. You're welcome to be and it, and yes. it spreads out and it's not something that dynamic just mm-hmm. didn't happen overnight one day. It, it didn't come no. out of a a world's war. It, it was always there. It's always been there, and and, there's, and it layers over every mm-hmm. single bit of, of written history, um, mm-hmm. and unwritten history. I mean, even when True. when when Ra came to Earth and enslaved the people from Egypt, they were dynamic, and when he stole mm-hmm. them, he stole submissives and doms, yep. and took them from Earth, which is why yep. dynamic is spread a little more in the Milky Way galaxy than it is in Pegasus because they seeded the galaxy from Earth and that, and that dynamic was always there. Anyway, yep. i got 30 seconds left. I want to thank everybody who listened in the chat room and who called and who asked me questions. I hope you guys enjoyed this. I might end up having to do a part two for Ties to Find. I don't know. You guys have a great evening. Thank you.
4: Talk to you later. Bye. Shut
3: up and sit down.
0: 500 vehicles to sell, 500 ways to save. One month only at Bill Penny Mitsubishi during Memorial Month. Now through May 31st, we will accept your credit application. A $200 down payment and a $350 a week paycheck can get you a new Mitsubishi. Don't forget, every new vehicle comes with our 10-year unlimited warranty. You can win $5,000 $5, with our 5K test drive giveaway. Visit BillPennyMitsubishi.com. To qualify buyers out approved credit, warranty valid through 10-year ownership on new vehicles only. One entry per household per month. Must be 21 with valid driver's license and insurance. See dealer for details. 500 vehicles to sell. 500 ways to save. One month only at Bill Penny Mitsubishi during May, Memorial Month. Now through May 31st, we will accept your credit application. A $200 down payment and a $350 a week paycheck can get you a new Mitsubishi. Don't forget, every new vehicle comes with our 10-year unlimited warranty. You can win $5,000 with our 5K test drive giveaway. Visit BillPennyMitsubishi.com. To qualify buyers on approved credit, warranty valid through 10-year ownership on new vehicles only. One entry per household per month. Must be 21 with valid driver's license and insurance. See dealer for details.